Good morning. Good morning. Second Corinthians chapter two. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me. But in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God. In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that I might be spirit-filled as I teach your word today, that the message might be clear, that the, the flock might be challenged and encouraged, Lord, if there are any here that outside of your love, that they don't have a shepherd, Lord, you draw them to yourself this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The message is entitled, Christian Walk. And we might even say, the normal Christian walk, because God has laid down how we ought to walk. We're to walk in love. We're to walk in truth. And what that includes is being able to have encouragement for other believers to bear one another's burdens, but also love one another enough to confront in love and see restoration. And what happens is we get in this chapter kind of a look at Paul's heart. You have false teachers that are there, that are rising up, some within, some coming without, teaching legalism, teaching some teaching license, and trying to separate from the leadership that Paul is giving to this community of believers. 
And they've accused him. Paul doesn't care about you. Oh, yeah, he's big stuff when he writes his letters, but when he comes, he's got a weak person. He isn't really as tough as he writes in his letters. He doesn't care about you anyway. If he cared, he'd have come here. He said he was coming, but he didn't come. And all kinds of questions they've raised in the minds of this flock that God has used Paul to bring to himself. So Paul kind of pulls back the curtain and just shares his heart with them. His heart in this discipline that he's written that has caused sorrow. His heart in desiring to see restoration, the great joy that comes when a believer comes back to the Lord and the challenge to all believers, even though they may have been hurt like Paul was, to forgive. That's just part of the Christian life. Ephesians 5, 2 says, And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. One of the members of the Corinthian church caused Paul a great deal of pain. We don't know if it's the guy that was there in, in 1 Corinthians 5 that was living in open fornication or somebody that he talks about later that confronted him right there and, and tried to undermine him personally. But Paul is heart is heavy because he wants to see the church restored. Now, so you don't misunderstand, Paul is not sorry that he had to do church discipline. He's heavy-hearted over the sin and the distraction it caused. It doesn't cause a lot of people walking out of step to cause dissension in the flock. One angry person walking around has ripple effects, doesn't it? Whether it's a big church or a small church or a medium church, people that are out of step with the Lord cause stress to the flock. It causes heartache. And we don't, in some respects, aren't the testimony of God's love if we don't have those things that are straightened out. And most churches don't deal with things today. They say, well, we'll just, you know, just let it happen. Well, church is not just something you go on Sunday morning, you get a flavor, a little religious flavor. Check the box. God intends churches to be families. Now, church discipline doesn't start with the elders. It's not where it starts. First Thessalonians chapter 5. It says it starts with every one of us. In the military, when we were learning, one of the first things we learned to do is march. And the drill sergeant would say very simply, your left, your left, your left, right. Because if somebody's on the left when, when they should be on the right, you see this head bob. Mm, mm, out of step. And Paul uses that idea to say, tell him to get in step. Because when a drill sergeant sees that, he stops the whole crowd. Everybody falls out for a little PT until you learn to listen. And for some guys that don't have any rhythm, that's kind of hard. But it's important that you learn to walk and step in the military so when the drill sergeant or your sergeant or your officer tells you to do something, you just obey. You're learning to walk in unity. So it starts with the guy next to you that says, hey, man, you're out of step. Oh, taught you how to do a little skip so you get back in step. And when you turn left, if you're the only guy and everybody else turned right, it really, it really messes things up. Because you're running into everybody else. But it starts with the guy next to you, your brother next to you, of saying, hey, what's going on? Proverbs 16 says, it talks a lot about the use of our words in that whole chapter. 
And it says, the wise man teaches his mouth persuasive words. That means we learn how to ask questions because the point of discipleship is that we all grow to the measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. We all grow up. So when we talk about church discipline, that's not something that's different. Oh, all of a sudden we're in discipline. And so you have one guy that shows up and he beats you down and beats you into shape. No, no, no. It's all discipleship. And we're all growing. So how do I ask those questions? Bible says we consider ourselves first. You consider, you know, you got the beam sticking out of your own head before you go deal with the guy who's got a little speck in his eye, it says in Ephesians. And we deal in love. Again, because the goal is restoration. Listen, the, the joy is just as great when you see uh, one who claims to be a believer repent of a sin that's dragging him down and is restored to fellowship. And it is when there's a lost person comes to know Christ. That's a great thing. And just as somebody out of step, somebody that lives in sin or there's anger or there's these problems going on causes dissension and stress in the flock, so the whole flock rejoices when God brings repentance and restoration. So Paul says, listen, my heart was heavy. And he mentioned before in the first chapter that he hadn't come yet because God hadn't led him. It was his intention because he loved them. He wanted to, to be there. But sometimes when you're confronting, it takes a while, doesn't it? Don't expect just because you've, you, you have these great words of insight into their life that you give it, and they're going to go, oh, thank you. Wonderful. Thank you for straightening me out. I'm so thankful. No, most people don't respond that way. And so we don't come to people to confront them with that attitude either. Listen, this is serious. We love you. I want you to think about this. Know this, we're praying for you. Now, they can run and be gone. It, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, what sins are, are those sins that cause us to separate fellowship? You know what the one bottom line is? Non-repentance. In Matthew 18, it says you go with one or two, then you go with two or three. And then you tell the whole church. Then there's different discipline for railers, for those that are factious. And Titus says, no, one or two. Warnings, gone. Because you don't want the church going after somebody that's trying to pull a faction after them. Right? Stephen Davies, our pastor back in uh, Colonial in uh, North Carolina, said he told us of experience one time. There was a guy that walked up and he was going to straighten him out. You know, after church, sometimes a lot of people talk to the pastor, and he was uh, bigger than Pastor Dave. He's a great big old guy, and he was just going to let the pastor know what for. And the pastor stopped, and he said, I want to tell you something. That's one. The next time you come like that, you'll be escorted out of here and say, ooh. So the guy stepped out of line and thought about that. Then he got back in line, and Pastor Dave, stepped out of line and said, I told you that's one. If I talk to you again, you'll be gone. Say, well, that seems kind of serious. Listen, know this. The flock of Jesus Christ is precious. You have somebody that's going to try to divide, it's called a wolf. And we'll deal with that. So there's different ways, but the attitude is always to restore. Paul wasn't heavy-hearted about having to do discipline or trying to keep the flock protected. He wasn't heavy-hearted about that. 
he was heavy hearted about the sin itself and the destruction it was causing. And so he says, listen, I determined I wasn't going to come again for my own sake. It's going to take some time, but at the same time, his heart was just anxious, waiting for when he would get word from Titus. He said, because if all I do is bring you sorrow, who brings me joy? A few weeks ago, I preached about the joy of the ministry. There is nothing like the joy of the ministry and seeing people come to Christ. And even more joy when you see God working in their life and those young believers, they see God working in their life and it's such joy and then sin comes in. Faction comes to the, to the church and such heaviness, such great heavy, heaviness of heart and Paul's thinking, what, Satan is always alive. He's trying to destroy what's going on. They didn't have cell phones, they didn't have faxes, they didn't have... Uh, telephones. He couldn't tell what was going on, so he was leaving with the Lord because God is a shepherd also. I've said many times, it'd be a lot nicer if God just dealt with all that stuff. And we pray for people's hearts, but ultimately, we have to be responsible also for our, the guy walking next to us and the elders for the body. So Paul says, it's with a heavy heart that I wrote you. Verse 4, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. If you don't love your children, you don't discipline them. If you don't love the church, you just let everything go. That's the American way. Oh, we don't talk about things like that. We just sweep it under the carpet. Oh, we just try to ignore it. And then we become a church that hides its light under a bushel. We don't care enough about people to confront them. Now, what would you think about a medical doctor that you went for a checkup and he sees a problem there, but he knows the medicine or the surgery is not going to be, you know, enjoyable. And so he just says, hey, listen, I want to be friends with you so everything's okay. And you go home and you continue to suffer. You say, that's, that's a wicked doctor. That wouldn't care enough about me to say, listen, we got to deal with this. This is serious. It's going to be uncomfortable, but we have an answer. We can deal with this. That's our hope. We don't run because we, there's a problem. We deal with it. What do we deal with? Well, there's a short list in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Immoralities, well, yeah, that's true. But it also says railers, factious people, and then covetous. Ooh, pastor, that's going a little far. Well, be satisfied in this. Jeff Brown told me a long time ago, pastor, when people leave the church, they don't hate us, they just hate you. Well, you gotta be tough to be a pastor. And just like Paul, when that happens, that tears the heart of a pastor. That tears every teacher, every elder that we have here, every deacon, every part of the flock. That's a heavy thing. We don't take it lightly. But neither... Do we think it's a heavy thing to protect the flock and care for the flock? That's a joy. It's precious. What is, the, what is the job of the church? What's the purpose of the church? Paul said it's to be the pillar and the ground of the truth. And so if we're not willing to hold that up in our lives, you know, you, you can look online and almost every church has a good doctrinal statement. The question is, are they living out the truth in their life? Is that church a light that shines as a beacon on a hill that can't be hidden? Or is it just, well, it's a good time on Sunday? Pillar of the truth. So we have to walk in love 
looking to restore and be an encouragement, bearing one of those burdens, but we also walk in truth. And Paul said to Ephesians, speaking the truth in love so that we all grow up to the measure of the stature of Christ. You see, in 1 Corinthians 5, 2, Paul challenged the church. He says, you've become arrogant. Instead of loving your brother enough to confront him, you have become arrogant, have not mourned instead, so the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. Sin is serious. But then you also see Paul's heart. He loves, and he wants to see someone restored. And so... This is the information he's telling us before Titus gets there. Now Titus comes, and he tells them, no, the church, they practice church discipline. The majority said, yes, we will, we will not fellowship with that person. That's what you find out. That's what church discipline is. Ultimately, if someone has to be put from the fellowship, now somebody is confronted in sin, and they say, you know what, that's sin. They repent, boom, over. Discipline over. There isn't certain kinds of sin that all of a sudden you deal with and then, you know, that one has to go out. No, you confront someone. As soon as they, they repent, they're restored. We'll say, how do you know? We don't. God knows. But Jesus said, you have the capacity to forgive over and over and over again because that's God's grace in you. And so you forgive. And that, that's when he got the good news. No, they have done. They've, and he said, so you forgive. You say, well, you know, I, never, I was never involved in a sin like that, so I'm not going to associate with another believer. No, if you don't forgive, God's not going to forgive you. You want to hold a grudge in your heart? Well, so-and-so did this, and so you're just going to walk around. You're not going to forgive? You're in trouble. Just expect, if you really belong to the Lord, you're about to get a beating. Yeah. That's what God says. Why? Because he doesn't want you living in that misery. But is it, that, that seems like a threat to me. If you don't forgive, God's not going to forgive you. Do you need forgiveness every single day? Amen? You need grace. You need restoration every single day as a believer. Boy, when the Lord was teaching his disciples, you better forgive or God's not going to forgive you. That's, that's serious instruction. 1 John chapter 4. If you don't love, maybe it's because you don't have the Lord. That's serious. Now, people have asked me over the years a different subject a little bit, but, you know, what if you have unsaved sons or daughters and maybe you don't discover them? I mean, they grew up in your home or I remember years ago we had a situation where a couple had gotten saved later in life and so their son was a teenager and they got saved. He never, he never received the Lord. So now he's an adult and he's out living his life and living... Uh, you know, with his girlfriend and not getting married. So the mom decided, I'm just going to treat him severely and be mean to him so he knows that we don't agree with that stuff. And so they came and they talked to me, an older couple. And I said, well, here's the deal. Ma'am, you are not the Holy Spirit. Paul didn't say separate from those that were unbelievers because of their sin. That was from believers that wouldn't repent. Now, she didn't like what I had to say too much. The dad was like, I knew it. I knew it. No, you love people. You pray for them. You realize one of your children or one of you, you know close uh, relative is not a believer and they're walking in sin. You love them. You continue to pray for them. What, what do you want them to see? When you get a chance, you speak into their life. 
But you're not the Holy Spirit. When you're talking to a believer, you can only give somebody the word. You can't control their actions. And what you want to see is God's work in their life, not yours. But now they've been restored. He says, oh, listen, we know how the devil works. He wants to always bring that up. He wants to always be reminding them, you messed up. Remember you messed up 20 years ago? Remember you messed up? You say, well, you know, I need to help the Holy Spirit on that. I should remind them that they've messed up and always just keep reminding them. No, that's not your job. Your job is to love them. Make sure you're loved. Because do we know what Satan tries to do? He's called the accuser of the brethren. What did Paul say? Forgetting those things that are behind. You deal with things and you move on. The focus is Christ, not your past sin. Deal with it. Confess it. I tell young couples getting married. Listen, if you've had problems before, just don't say, maybe, maybe you were not faithful to the Lord and you slept with your spouse before you were married, so you're getting married. So, oh, well, we're getting married, so it's okay. Oh, Satan loves to hear you do that. No, go take the hammer out of his hand because he's coming back later to hit you with it, and it will be painful. You're a young couple and you're dating and you've, you've uh, sinned, then you go ask each other's forgiveness you're getting married and you remember, hey, we've had problems in the past, ask one another's forgiveness and ask the Lord's forgiveness and take that hammer out of, the, out of the devil's hand to hit you with later. So when he comes to accuse you, you can say, no, I dealt with that. You're not getting any rent for that. You don't own this house anymore. I know who owns this house and he has forgiven me. And neither are we to be the ones to always bring up past mistakes. Always remind people, listen, you're not all that much. I remember when you messed up. No, 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 that's not our job. Paul says, you restore him because that's Satan's job to keep people off balance and keep people worrying and concerned about what they did. No, 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 they're forgiven. They're restored. Then Paul says, listen, I was so concerned before Titus came. I went to Troas. There was a door open for the ministry because they're accusing him of not caring. He said, there was a door open for ministry and I couldn't concentrate. Sometimes, maybe they're thinking, well, Paul, he never has struggles. He never has heart. You know, talk, Paul the apostle, you know, he's an apostle. He, he doesn't have struggles like that. He said, I couldn't even think. I couldn't concentrate even when a door was open for the gospel. And when Titus didn't show up, I, I had to go to Macedonia until I found him. He said, oh, I love you. Oh, how my heart was heavy until I got the news that the majority had been obedient, and it was serious. And so this one got his heart right, and now he's restored. Oh, then I was restored. He says, but you know, even in the midst of those trials, even before I found out the good news, my heart was encouraged because of worship. Because the next verse, he says, but thanks be to God who always leads us. See, God can be leading us, and we know we're where God's supposed to be, and there's still trials. Never in the midst of a trial say, Lord, why me? Why do I have to have a trial now? Like somehow you get to the place you don't deserve trials anymore. That's why Paul said, Romans 5, we rejoice in tribulations also because those tribulations work patience. We have now the ability to endure hardness as a good soldier for Jesus Christ, and patience experience. What good is experience? Because we've seen the Lord work in those situations, so we have confidence God's going to show up again because he always shows up. 
And because the love of God is spread abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit that's given unto us, we have more capacity for the love of Christ because of the trial. But never think because somebody is a leader, they don't have heavy times. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, had all kinds of depressions in his life. Why? Because Satan likes to pick on the leader. Don't think, well, I'm going to say this or that. And it doesn't, doesn't matter to the pastor. It doesn't matter to the elders. What do I, no. Because they are pastors that care about you, it's heavy. And Paul's heart was heavy. But his encouragement was the Lord. It wasn't how things turned out. We don't do church discipline because it works. Because a lot of times our desire is to see somebody restored. They're not restored. Say, well, wow. How are we going to ever build a church if we're, you know, holding that much accountability. We're not building the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. The purpose is it to be a pillar and ground of the truth. So God's the one that does that. He's the one that adds. He's the one that takes away. And so his encouragement that God is leading me, I'm gonna follow. My, my, my great encouragement, Paul said, is that the Lord is leading us and he's not just leading us, he's always leading us in his triumph. And it refers to the Roman triumph. The Roman triumph was an official parade that was awarded to any commander in chief that went to a foreign land. He had complete victory and more than 5,000 enemies were killed. And so he got to have this great big parade and had a certain route and in the parade, he rolled in a golden chariot with big, powerful horses pulling him. He was surrounded by his officers, led by his men, and before, or behind him came his men, and in front were the spoils of war. All the bounty, the treasure, maybe the new spices, so there were, the, the priests were burning the incense, so there's a smell going out. And then the captives those that were taken in battle, and there was a certain route. It ended like at a place like the Colosseum where those people would be executed. They were the enemies of Rome, or they'd fight with beasts and be executed. So the victory went on. But right next to the chariot were the sons of the commander-in-chief. They hadn't fought in the war. And yet they were enjoying the great triumph. That's you and I. We didn't fight the battle for our salvation. But we get to walk in his triumph with him. And that's why we say, you don't have to pray for victory in the Christian life. You just have to walk in it. The Christian victory has already been won for you. At the cross, before he died, Jesus said, it is finished. And now we walk in this great triumph. And he said, the aroma that's going out, that has a double effect. Thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph. Verse 15, for we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. The other, an aroma from life to life. So when we live out the Christian life as we love one another and we bring accountability and, and encouragement and strength and bearing one another's burdens to one another, that's an aroma to the world around us. You're living out the gospel. Now to those that are perishing, they're, they're going to say, you know, we don't want you around. 
I'm reminded of the illustration. Billy Graham went with a group of men golfing many years ago, and they just had a little time golfing, and they got done, and one of the fellows says, you know, I can't stand that Billy Graham. He's always preaching. And his friend said, oh, really? What did he say? Well, I don't know, but I know what he thinks, right? Because he knew what Billy Graham stood for. There was an aroma of the gospel around his life. Don't be discouraged because you living your life doesn't cause everybody to rejoice in Jesus around you or get saved as soon as you share the gospel with them. It has an effect when you live the gospel out like that. You just, just your life has an effect. And it's negative and it's positive. You're living your life out. You don't know what somebody's thinking. You may look at somebody and say, they've got it all figured out. And one day they come to you and say, you know, I don't have what you have. Could you explain that to me? And Paul ends with that little phrase, who's adequate for these things? God's not expecting you to win people to the Lord. Do you know that? He doesn't need anything. But he calls us into his triumph so we can see what he's doing. And he says, listen, hold up the truth. Just hold up the truth. Worship with your lives. John Piper made that statement. Missions exist because worship does not. Worship is the primary thing. It's the number one thing. Missions exist because worship doesn't exist in some places. So we go around, we just bring the worship of the one true God. And some people, they reject it and they go the other way. Others are drawn because God is working in their heart. Who's adequate for these things? Who has the ability to change hearts? We aren't. We're not adequate for these things. But that's God and his triumph. So he ends with his last verse. He says, so we're not a bunch of hucksters. We're not used car salesmen trying to talk somebody into the gospel. That's not our job. Don't feel that burden that you've got to get so good. Yesterday, Sam said he went to a conference on soul winning. And he said, you know, everyone's always come up with some new method. Can you imagine having a method so you can go out and explain people that you love your wife? Okay, now learn how to say this so people know you love your wife. You know, just, just no, you don't have to have a conference on that. When you love your wife... You just talk about it. When you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it just comes out. It sees in every part of your life. That's why it's so important we as believers don't get too caught up in politics. You can walk around angry all the time because you're listening to this guy and that guy, and oh, man, America's just going to hell in a handbasket. Well, have you read the last page? Not one late nation remains. Not one. Jesus has to come and conquer them all. Don't get upset with that stuff. Remember what we're here for. We're here to walk in love. We're here to walk in God's triumph. And so we don't have to be hucksters trying to sell people on the gospel. I don't know if you, this will date me really a lot, but you've ever heard of Andy Griffith show? Yeah? I know, it's reruns. But there was a time when Barney wanted to get a car. And he found this deal. What a sweet deal. And a sweet little old lady was selling cars. And uh, she pretended like this car, oh, this car, I never drove it much. And the thing didn't hardly make it home. They'd put sawdust in the gearbox. They put sawdust here and there. So it, it sounded really quiet, like it was just purring. And yet it was breaking down. Some of us... Think the gospel's like that. Oh, well, that's kind of harsh. Oh, I don't want to call them sinners. What can I say? Hey, Jesus died so you can have a better life right now. 
No, no, no. That's not the gospel. You don't have to sweeten it. You don't have to dress it up. You don't have to fix it. You don't know where that person's at. They may look fine on the outside and the inside. They are dying because they know their guilt of their sin is dragging them down to hell. You mean Jesus already paid it all? He'll take away my sin and my guilt? You see, they buy religion. Where are you, you're going to pay for this, you're going to work hard, and then you're going to go to purgatory and pay some more for a few thousand. They'll go with that. But the news that Jesus paid it all? What good news is that? That's why Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God into salvation. Jesus said, what we have in the gospel is powerful seed. Just get it out there. Don't change it. Don't play it down. Just share it. He said, we're not like many peddling the word of God. A few years ago, I don't think they have the money to do it anymore, but it really bothered me. Southern Baptists are having a deal where they go to the high school rodeo, and if you, uh, they put their little teenage girls out there, and hey, come in here, and we'll share your story, and then you can get a chance to win this ATV. And they went up Sturgis, and they bought a Harley, and they said, hey, listen, if you let us tell your story, you've got a chance to win a Harley. My friend, that's, if that's not, that's pretty close to being a huckster. Oh, Paul, you've got to get your church involved in that. I said, nope. See, because our gospel is so precious, we're not going to play it down with some bait and switch. We don't have to do that. You don't have to feel like you've got to sell somebody on the gospel. Is the power of God into salvation to anyone that will believe. Paul says, we're not many, like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Have you ever thought about that? When you're sharing the gospel, it doesn't matter if those people get saved. God's gonna bless you when you share it faithfully because God's watching you're sharing the precious gospel in the sight of God. You're loving your brother or not loving your brother in the sight of God. Oh yeah, he sees. You're living your life out in the sight of God. And Paul says, so don't cheapen the gospel. Just share it. Father, we thank you for the blessing of your word. Lord, as we sang before, the majesty, the majesty that you took us right where we were undeserving, even unaware until you quickened us by your spirit. And you never give up on us. You've told us faithful is he that calls who will also bring it to pass. Oh, Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, give us a growing love for your word, for yourself, and for one another so that others might see this love we have for one another. And say, that's unique. Look how they love one another. And Lord, I pray that we would unashamedly live out and speak out the gospel of our Savior. That even though the times are dangerous and dark, we might continue to see a great harvest and then we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's stand together.